that first week while she was in the ICU uh, was one of the hardest weeks of my entire life. Um, uh, our children, uh, we're so proud of them. And we're here to talk about, about one of them. Uh, his name is David. Just co coexisting for the kids. Yeah, um, pretty much. And then we went for our second ultrasound at 20 weeks, um, and that's not anything that we'll ever forget. Never forget. Never forget that day. everybody. My name is Pastor Derek. I want to welcome you to Connect this morning. Uh, hopefully you all are here for the Hope Series. Are you guys excited about this? Uh, much anticipation. Really excited to be able to introduce this to you today. I want to quickly just say a few things to you. Um, as we kind of set this up, you're going to hear stories from people that are a part of our church community. Um, and basically they're going to share their story for God's glory. That there are people that just like you that are sitting there every single Sunday, and sometimes I think we look around and we think we're the only ones that are going through it. We're the only ones that are having a, a, a difficult time, the only ones that are facing certain challenges, and yet that's not necessarily the case at all. And so what we wanted to do is kind of lift some stories from amidst our people, but also lift those stories and lift you up in the process. You know, during the holidays, um, you know, we sing about songs, you know, it's it's the most beautiful time of the year, and and uh, at the same time, while those things are happening, many people are feeling a lot of pain, feeling a lot of problems in some of the situations. Though they're not necessarily more in quantity, they're felt more. And because they're felt more, sometimes there's worse outcomes. Suicide goes up, divorce goes up, some of the, you know, relational mishaps and things like that go up because people are without hope. They feel hopeless. The Bible says in Luke 18.1, it says, Then Jesus used this story, everybody say this story, to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. I hope these stories that we share each week will bring hope to you. I'll be back with you in just a couple of minutes. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Angelica. And my name is Kevin, and we're the Corcorans. And this is our story for God's glory. So I met this handsome fellow back in 2000. Uh, we dated for not very long. Um, we fell in love. We had a lot of fun. We went together on dinners. On um, we, we had a lot of things in common at the time. We um, were together a lot. Um, he helped me buy my first car. Um, he was also proud of me, so supportive. Reading my essays, helping me correct them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, it was I a was nightmare. grammar. Still, he still yeah, does it. Yeah, which I still do. <laughs> and she also continued on to college. Uh, at Mass Bay to start and eventually at Mount Ida. And she got her her hygienist degree and license. Couldn't do without your help, yeah, though. Yeah, she's now done the hygienist. Very, very supportive. Uh, like I said, she's a very smart girl, very ambitious, and uh, so, and she did a great job. Yeah, we had a lot of, of fun. Yeah, yeah, we, we really enjoyed each other's time and company. It was, it was a good time and everything was, was innocent and new and it, it was a great relationship. Yeah. So Angelica and I dated for about two years and uh, had a great time. Uh, we were excited to get married. Uh, we got married. A short time after that, we had our first child, Amanda, a beautiful daughter. And uh, everything was good. The finances were good. Work was good. Our marriage was good. We had a great, beautiful little child. Uh, the, the, the American dream, you know. I couldn't have couldn't asked for more. Uh, we wanted to have another child. It took us a few years. We, yeah. had, we had a few setbacks, but three years later, we had our son, Kevin Jr., KJ. Uh, so now we had a boy, a girl. 
beautiful kids, good marriage. Uh, we were well off financially. Work was good. Beautiful home. Uh, we had a vacation home. We had we had all the toys, all the things everybody dreams about. And uh, until um, the business went sour and um, the economy in our country um, went bad and. Um, Kevin lost what he worked his whole life to have, um, the business that we had. He had uh, buildings in Worcester, and um, that, didn't, that didn't go well, so... Um, but with the recession in real estate, uh, you know, people stopped paying rents. Uh, the economy went bad, the value of real estate went down. <clears throat> and not seeing that coming in the future, Angelica had quit her job and she was just enrolled in Mount Ida College to go to school full-time so that income was lost on top of everything else and then we had to bring in a nanny to help so those, those bills came up, uh, income's going down, bills are going up. And that's when I lost my husband. So uh, it was a tough time, things definitely changed at that time. I, uh, I kind of went inward, couldn't accept the, um, the that things were going sour because I was always so successful. I couldn't see shine in his eyes anymore. I couldn't see happiness. Um, the only uh, joyful moments he had was around the kids, and as soon as the kids were, um, I was sleeping, and he would shut down, and just um, there was no hope for, um, for happiness in our life anymore together. So it was, it was really hard, hard for me to um, understand and, and, and cope with his pain um, and, and help. I wanted to just to be, to go away and go back to where we used to be, but it wasn't that simple. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I was a typical man, the, the macho type, big ego, uh, you know, successful and hey, look at me, you know. Uh, everything's great and, and when they went sour and I couldn't control that and I couldn't stop it and, uh, really took a part of me out and, and I wasn't the person that I used to be so I couldn't be the husband that I was and uh, my marriage really suffered for it. financial crisis in our marriage, um, Kevin was no longer the person he used to be. He uh, was short in temper and um, snapping at me a lot and um, he said a lot of things that really hurt my feelings. Um, some of the which I, it took me a long, long time to get over it. Um, our communication was terrible. We stopped communicating to each other. We stopped um, caring for each other. Um, we were just co coexisting. For the kids. Yeah, um, pretty much. Being together for the kids, making sure that um, they wouldn't see. Uh, yeah, that, that they were happy and they. We were fulfilling the kids' needs, but not we, we were not fulfilling each other's needs. And, and I, I honestly didn't have it in me. I, I, I was burnt, I was sour, uh, I, I was angry. So if you're not happy with yourself and you're angry at, at, at whatever, at the world, at the economy, at whatever you want to call it, uh, then it takes its toll on you and you can't be the, the same person that you used to be. And you, you can't be a loving, giving person if you're hurt and sour inside. So. Yeah. So that's when I, I wanted to, I've always been a believer. I've always had God in my heart. But that once was when I wanted this for him. I want Kevin to, to know the God that I did. I want Kevin to, to know that there was more than financial, there was more than um, a nice car, there was more than a nice boat, and I want him to feel inside um, God's uh, love for him. And that's when I started praying for, for him as a person and for our marriage. So I was pretty much hopeless. I didn't think that um, this marriage was going to um, take. Um, 
I was desperate. I needed an answer. Um, I started coming to this church. I've um, stopped uh, Pastor Derek on the parking lot one day, and I was just crying, <sighs> hoping that I'll have an answer. Um, and um, shortly after that, I set up a meeting with him. Um, and I came here and I opened my heart to him. I was hurting, I was hopeless, I was tired. I was exhausted. And so he, that's when he told me that, um, how was my relationship with God? How was me this way? How was I um, taking care of Angelica? And that everything was just uh, too messy to make any decisions at that time. And that point on, I started just trying to calm things down and, and making sure that I had a good relationship with God first, uh, me, my heart, and God. And I try to um, just slow down a bit and not wanting things to happen right away. Um, and uh, at that same moment, there was a, a fasting going on at church for 21 days, which I did um, for this marriage. And At the, at the end of the 20, 21 days, um, Gretchen called me on a, the day after, it was 20, 22nd day, and she told me about the marriage retreat, which um, there was a spot available um, for us to come. And I, at that moment, didn't know if Kevin would say yes because he was so lost in his own um, regrets and, and um, difficulties that I don't think he was gonna accept that um, um, marriage retreat weekend and I got the message from her and I got home and I and I said it to him I said honey would you want to go on this marriage retreat and it wasn't much of a, a fight he just said yes sure and pretty much up to that day every church um, um, thing that was going on he would not wanted to come or he would ask a thousand questions where is this um who's doing it and at that particular day he just said yes and that was the first step of um a long journey after that so uh the marriage retreat was um wonderful yeah it was, it was really good uh i wasn't expecting too much out of it i i, I wasn't ever really a religious person uh, I never prayed. I never asked God for anything. I never, I never asked anybody for help in anything. I was too proud all the time. So, but we went to the uh, to the marriage retreat, and it it, it really opened my eyes. Um, the marriage retreat wasn't a place that I thought that was going to help our marriage, but it was a beginning to um, having God in um, Kevin's heart in that marriage retreat, and that's when uh, things started changing for us, and I could see hope again. And um, and start you know, thanking Lord for for everything that's ahead of us at that moment. Um, but obviously, there was things that still needed to be worked out as far as my feelings and um, our uh, way of communicating to each other. Yeah, we we had a lot of work ahead of us to, to repair the damage that was done for for over for so the course long. of several years. So the, 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 there was a lot of work, and we we were unprepared or or didn't know. How to forgive. How, how, how to fix it, how, how to forgive, how to change things, how, how, how to be, uh, you know, more caring and open towards towards the other. We, we, we were just, we were really bitter. We, we had a lot of issues and uh, I honestly didn't think in my heart of hearts that, that it would be repairable. But Neither did I. But you know, over the course of time, and, and, and through the retreat, and, and through coming to Connect Church, and, and accepting God and Jesus in our lives, it changed big time. Yeah, for that, I, I, I don't think I don't think there was a cure. I don't think there was any solution. You know, besides, you know, ending the marriage, divorce, and breaking up our family. So. Yeah, but I had hope at that moment. My, um, there was something in my heart that told me that that wasn't it. That there's something more for us and um, we did the counseling the marriage counseling with Don and Bob yeah and they were wonderful love you guys um, we learned how to talk to each other again um, yeah I mean we've been taught the tools on on how to communicate on how how to be together on how to appreciate each other on 
on, on the other's needs instead of just focusing on ours and feeling sorry for ourselves. We, we learned that uh, we need to open up and and, uh, and and not not be so selfish and, yeah. and try to do the right things and you know pray and ask God for help and patience and yeah and, and have things. and have hope and uh, yeah hope, hope hope is key hope is key definitely so they've been great to us um, we've learned a lot I've learned a lot I thought that only Kevin had to learn how to. Um, fix things but I also had to let go of things I also had to forgive and I also had to start again um, and the most important thing also was that Kevin has discovered that money isn't as big as it used to be for you anymore right no 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 it's it's not a, it's not a priority as it used to be uh, the toys the status symbols all, all the all the things that I thought was important, all the things that I thought I was working for, all the things that, that I needed to have and obtain and, and had. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been humbled and realized that that's not important. Yeah, that's been a um, highlight for me because I've always wanted him to realize that. Um, and he's been um, kind again and I can see him smiling again and I can see him happy again. So, very hopeful for everything ahead of us at this moment. I want to tell you all never to lose hope. Um, pray, be persistent, patient. Make sure that first you have a good relationship with God, with your heart, and then everything will fall in place. Um, just don't give up. Yeah, uh, uh, hope, hope, hope is there. Uh, you, you really need to, to open yourself up and be vulnerable and, and pray and, and talk to God and Jesus and, and create a relationship with them. I, I, I never did, I never prayed in my life. I uh, had a hard time praying, didn't know how to pray. And actually, the uh, I still wear my bracelet to remind me all the time. Pray first, that, that those sessions were a great help to me. It uh, taught me how to pray, it, it taught me to to be vulnerable and, and to ask for help and, and to thank God for all that He does and all that He's capable of doing. So, if, if you go there and you let yourself, uh, show your weaknesses, I guess. Just open up, and then you'll be there for you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Come on, give the Lord a big praise. Amen. I don't think Kevin and Angelica are in the second service. I'm guessing. Are you guys here? No? Okay, just want to make sure I don't miss them. But uh, real people right in your midst, uh, so blessed that they would be willing to share that. You know, the Bible tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, that's what Jesus did for us, and the word of our testimony. And we love our lives, not even unto death. So giving away what God has given you, your story for God's glory is so important. And if you have a story, you know, that you would, you would like to share, then please email our office and let us know what God is doing in your life. We'd like to give that away. I was coming back from a trip uh, just yesterday. I actually just did a quick 24-hour trip to Texas, if you can imagine what that was like. And uh, on my way to, uh, to Texas and on my way back, actually, I was watching uh, one of my favorite movies. My family will never watch it with me, uh, but it's a classic Christmas story called It's a Wonderful Life. How many have ever watched It's a Wonderful Life? Thank you very much. When my wife gets here, if you guys could mention that. Anyway, and my kids. But anyway, I was watching It's a Wonderful Life, and so some of you obviously know the story, but, you know, many scenes that are really, you know, George, George, George Bailey, you know how he talks, he's got that funny little voice about him. But George Bailey got really sad in life, and there was a bunch of stuff that didn't quite go the way he wanted it to go, and an angel was assigned to him, a second-class angel named Clarence, whose job was basically to try to encourage uh, George Bailey, you know, and get him kind of back on track. And if he did a good job, he was going to get his wings. And so this particular uh, kind of senior angel basically told him, you need to go help this man um, because he's, uh, this is your assignment. And if you do a good job with it, you know, you're going to get your wings. And so Clarence says, what's wrong with him? Is he sick? And the, the senior angel said, no, it's worse than that. He's discouraged. He's discouraged. So I want to submit to you that there's actually something worse 
than physical sickness or some of the physical things that we go through. And I'm not minimizing those in any way, shape, or form, but most people would agree if you kind of took an inventory of yourself, there's a sickness of the soul that makes you hopeless. The Bible says in your notes, it's in Proverbs 15, it says that hope deferred makes the heart, what? Sick. The heart sick. The worst kind of sickness is a heart sickness. And hope deferred, it's deferred means you thought it was going to go a certain way, but it didn't go that way. You thought you were going to be, Kevin thought he was going to be happy if he had all of this stuff that possessions was going to bring pleasure and, 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 and you know, it's going to bring happiness and it's going to bring significance. But that's, that's not what happened. And it was, his heart was sick. His heart was desperately sick. And then that sickness affects other people because they had an expectation. Hey, marriage wasn't going to be like this. And Angelica thought her marriage was going to be something different than it was. And then her heart got sick. You guys are all tracking with me out there? So we're going to talk about how to have hope. How did they find hope in a seemingly hopeless situation? You all experience or have experienced hopeless situations. And we're going to talk about what it looks like. And, and the question, though, first is, how do you know if you're struggling with hopelessness? I want to give you kind of three symptoms. You may have one or all of these symptoms. Let me give you those really quickly. The first symptom is that you might have hopelessness. Is, and I'm going to start with kind of the negative to get to the positive because you can't appreciate the positive without starting with the negative. So you might feel disoriented. Everybody say disoriented. In other words, you don't really know where you are. You don't know what's going on. You're kind of just lost. And it's interesting, if you don't have the problem, if you're not facing the situation, you can look at their situation. You can say, oh, here's the answer, or here's what you're not seeing, or here's, here's, the, here's where you need to go. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it's so clear to you from, from the outside, but if you're inside, if you're going through this, you're disoriented. You can't see what's going on. My, my friends in, the, in, the, in uh, Louisiana, they say, you, you don't know, come here from Sikkim. You know what I mean? That's what they say to the dogs. You know, you don't know, come here from Sikkim. You're, you're kind of just, you're disoriented. You're lost. You have no focus. In Job chapter 17, you know, this is a man who went through some hopelessness, Job. It's not job, by the way, so if you're looking for a job, this is the wrong book to read, okay? <laughs> this is Job. But Job was so discouraged. At one point in time, he actually took like these clay, you know, pieces, uh, hard pieces of clay, and he was scraping his face, and he lay on a bed of ashes, and, and, he, and when he talks about hope, he's looking for it. In Job 17, 15, he says, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? He's trying to find it. He can't because he's disoriented. I remember going on a trip um, a couple of years back with uh, some good friends of ours, Mike and Danelle Noonan. My wife and I went on a cruise, and, and the girls would never go on the excursions. So Michael and I would go on the excursions by ourselves, and so we went snorkeling in Belize. We bought these T-shirts that says, you better Belize it. And, uh, <laughs> and when we were snorkeling, we went out in this boat, and um, Michael's actually got a scuba licensing, and so he's kind of fearless about this sort of thing, so trying to keep up with him was slightly scary. He was breaking all the rules, and anyway, I can remember getting out, you know, um, in this boat, and I said, how far are we going to go out? And they said, we're going to go real far. I said, how far? They said, basically, you're not going to see land. I said, oh, okay, we're going out to, like, the Great Barrier Reef of Mexico, of Mexico, so it's not as big as the... Anyway, it's, I can make some contrast. But anyway, we get way out there, and I can remember uh, getting snorkeling, having a blast. We come up. We see all kinds of fish. Chasing Michael was crazy. He's going like 40 feet down snorkeling. Scary dude. Anyway, um, we get back in the boat, and I'm like, all right, let's go. Come on. Let's head. Let's go. And, they go, and, the, and the, the guy who's in the, the captain of the boat goes, no, it's this way. I said, no, man, I'm positive it's this way. We're not going that way. We're going this way. He says, no, man, it's this way. See? And he pulls out a GPS and he says, look at this. And sure enough, he was right. But because I was disconnected from something that was solid, something that was fixed, I became disoriented. Does that make sense? And that's what happens to us when we experience hopelessness. We get disoriented. We don't know what's going on. Another symptom is drifting. Everybody say drifting. Now, you might be far away from something, uh, and you know you are. Some people are consciously drifting. Some people are consciously drifting from God. In other words, you're disappointed in God, so you're sort of doing it on purpose. And, and, and some of you may even be here, but you're really not here. 
You're drifting. You might be upset with God. You know, Kevin didn't have a relationship with God prior to this, but he was mad. He was mad at circumstances. He was mad at life. Some of you, though, have a relationship with God, and you're giving him the Heisman. You're, you're intentionally kind of drifting away. You're consciously drifting away. Others are unconsciously drifting away. Some of us don't realize it's happening, and it's really a natural tendency, a default for us to drift when you go to the beach, how many of you love the beach? Anybody love the beach? I go every single summer, I look at the ocean, and I just say, Jesus, how can I make a living doing this? You know what I mean? There must be a way. But when you're on the beach and you have kids, you know, because the waves come in at an angle while they're swimming and body surfing, I enjoy watching them do that. And, uh, but they don't realize because of that angle, there's just this tendency for them as they body surf to continue to drift down the beach. Now, they'll look at us and think, Mom and Dad, where'd you go? We've been in the same place the whole time. You are the guys, you're the ones who've been drifting. We all can drift, consciously or unconsciously. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us, everybody say all of us. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We've left God's path to follow our own. One of the reasons sometimes we do drift is because we're taking ownership. We're taking the wheel of our life instead of giving God full ownership of our life. That's one of the reasons we drift. But when you get away from a fixed position, you can get hopeless. Another symptom is despair. Everybody say despair. This is the worst one of all. This is the worst one of all because this is the one where you kind of, you check out. This is the one where there's, there's resignation, where, you know, you're, you, might be, you might be listening to this right now and there's despair in your heart. You might be listening online and there's, there's despair even as you're hearing it deep inside your heart. And before you think that's unique to you and what you're going through, look at what the Apostle Paul said. This is a guy who we follow, who we listen to, who we use his material all the time. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says this. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. That's what despair can feel like, like a weight. Far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. I wanted to check out. I wanted to take my own life. I wanted to end it all. That's what Paul was saying. Paul felt that kind of hopelessness in his life. That's, that's what you call sickness of the soul. It's deep, and it's, it's unbelievable. And some people, I find it amazing, can have the same kind of circumstances, and one goes left, and one goes the right way. Isn't that amazing? And I think sometimes that line of demarcation has to do with somebody who has found kind of an anchor for your soul, a hope instead of a hopelessness. There's a movie that's coming out on Christmas Day called Unbroken, and it's the story of Louis Zamperlini, I think is how you say his name. He was an Olympian runner, a World War II veteran, a POW of, um, you know, he's a prisoner of war in, to, with the Japanese, and um, there's this, my daughter was reading the book, I have it on my uh, bookshelf in my, in my room, she was reading it for a school project. Of course, I'm sure the media has downplayed his Christian faith because he, he came to Christ in a uh, Billy Graham crusade. And it was instrumental in him being able to not only uh, restore his and heal and, and recuperate from such a difficult time, but he actually went all the way back many, many years later to the, to the, prison, the prison guards that had beaten him and personally forgave them and shared Christ with them, if you can imagine that. But prior to that, he wanted to die. He felt completely hopeless. And he, and he, at one point, he was praying, and he, and he was out 47 days in the open sea, uh, shipwrecked from a plane that had crashed. And he just said, God, if you can get me through this, I'll serve you all the days of my life. There was just this, this desperate prayer, and he felt hopeless. And many people feel hopeless. Hopelessness is horrible. And you might think, you know, is this message going to be more positive? You know, Pastor, could you kind of, why aren't you more positive? I'm positive that you're going to have some bad times. That's what I'm positive about. Jesus never promised us a rose garden. He never said everything was going to be perfect. In fact, sometimes when you come to Christ, you may not like this point I'm getting ready to make, but sometimes it's worse for a little while. Sometimes it's bumpy. Because the enemy's upset because the trajectory and, and course and direction of your life has changed. And so John 16, 3 says, you know, talks about this, that you, in this world you're going to have trouble, tribulations, trials, difficulties. But take heart. Find hope. Jesus overcame the world and so can you. But, and, and I want to lead a church actually that, is, that has people filled with Kevin 
and angelical type people, people who overcame hopeless situations. And you know what the Bible tells us to do in 2 Corinthians 1, 3? Give that away. It says, you know, we comfort those with the comfort we ourselves have received from the Lord in 2 Corinthians 1, 3. I want a church like that, amen? I recently just did the smallest little thing to reach out to somebody, and they told me uh, privately through Facebook that they were actually thinking about checking out of this world. And all I did was just stop them in the parking lot and just say, hey, 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 how you doing? I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. Are you doing all right? And she, and she went home and she cried all the way home because she just thought, you know what? So there was just a little bit of hope, just a little bit of hope. What is hope not? You know, sometimes we don't, we, we, we don't understand, you know, the definition of hope. We're going to get to that. But let's talk about what it's not. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, you know, uh, you know, it's not just blow out the candles and make wishes. You know, that's not what hope is. It's not blow out the candles and maybe there'll be a Porsche outside. You know what I'm saying? That's not what it is. It's also not blind optimism. Listen, I'm not going to just tell you, be happy and just, just make a choice and just, just be happy, be happy. There's a lot of Christianity that just kind of pummels us with just these, you know, uh, these statements and we just got these, these, these empty words. Just be happy and, 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 and act like it's not really there. Pretend you're not feeling this way. You're not really sick in your soul. The faith message does this with things too. We kind of take extremes and say we're not sick. No, you're sick. You just... You just faith just above the sickness, and so you just have to learn how to kind of see things right. But blind optimism just wants you to ignore it. I, I saw um, a, 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 um, a picture of a lost, like there was a lost dog picture in a grocery store, and it was just kind of a humorous thing. But they were they were saying, if you find this dog, can you just can you just let us know? And it basically said that this dog is it's blind in its right eye. It's got its left ear is. Uh, partially cut off, it's got one leg missing, and it was recently castrated, and it goes by the name Lucky. <laughs> now, I don't care how optimistic you are, but Lucky ain't so lucky, you know what I'm saying? So there's a blind optimism there. So another thing that hope is not is it's, it's not some ambitious goal or dream. We'll talk about that in the new year, but it's not that either. The biblical definition is really the best definition of hope. It's, it's better than what you can find in Webster's Dictionary. The world has a hard time trying to describe it, grab a hold of it, make it kind of come alive. But here's the biblical definition. Hope is a confident expectation based on something very real, something solid. It, it, it's not pie in the sky. It's, it's not, it has a basis. It's something you can, you can hold on to. It's something you can grab, something you can reach out to. I've actually seen this, this kind of hope, and you have too, manifest in different situations and circumstances in your life. You can, you can, be, you can be a fan, let's just say, of a sports team. And, and you take the New England Patriots, for example, and they can be down in the first half, but there's something inside you that knows we're going to win this game. There's, there's a, you can grab hold of that. You have a, an expectation. You have a confidence in something solid. Solid is what? Tom Brady, that's what's solid. You know what I mean? Gronk, that's what's solid, right? You know that we're going to turn this whole thing around. There's a hope. People are getting fired up here in this church service. I don't know. I felt the anointing come in as soon as I started talking about that. But, but Christians are called to be this way. And, and, and we're called to, we, may, we should have that hope. We may lose some battles, but we know we win the war. You know, we, we win in the end, you know. Things may be rough right now, but in the end, uh, it's all going to turn out for good. And some people think, again, it's just pie in the sky. It's just wishful thinking. In fact, a lot of people think Christianity is just a crutch for weak-willed people. It's true. They don't understand that, that, that the basis of our belief system is not on myths or some man's message or fairy tales, but it has, it has substance to it. That there are, there are promises in this book that work. There are fulfilled prophecies uh, by the hundreds that are continually being fulfilled. That people have been basing their life and existence and standing on this, not literally in, the sense, you know, in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense for uh, millennia. It works. It, there's a substance to it. It has something solid. That's why the Bible says about itself in Hebrews 11.1. 1, look in your notes. It says faith is being sure. Everybody say sure. 
sure of what we, what? Hoped for and certain of what we do not see. That's going to be critical later as we go forward. There's just this solid, you know, uh, source there that real hope is built on. For most people, hope is something that they do. But for a believer, hope is something that we have, something that you can possess, And that's what happened in Kevin and Angelica's case. And my goal is to give you something you can hold on to. I love what David said in Psalm 71. He said, but as for me, I will always have hope. In other words, you can have it. There is a choice. There is almost like a spiritual muscle that's necessary. I will have hope. I will praise you more and more. And just notice that. He says, I have it. But the obvious question is, how? How do you have hope? It's obvious he had it, and I'm, I'm, as your pastor, I'm passionate about practical Christianity, and I don't want to tell people, oh, you need to have love, you need to have joy, you need to have peace, and you need to have hope, but you don't know how to get it. And so I want to, the best thing that I know to do is kind of give you a biblical illustration of what the Bible uh, describes as hope. In fact, the Bible describes in the book of in the book of uh, Hebrews, and we actually sang the song today just a little while ago. He just, in Hebrews 6, 19, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, something firm, something secure, an anchor. The Bible describes hope just like this, this anchor. It's very, very interesting. So, so in other words, when the winds, when the storms, which we all face, come upon us when all the things that kind of are going against you relationally, emotionally, physically, in your sickness, sick physical sickness, God is saying hope is literally like an anchor in the middle of that. Something that holds you, something that, that, that basically says inside of you, you can't sink me, Satan. You can't knock me out. I, there's something immovable, something solid An anchor for your soul is what the Bible talks about. And there are three kind of things that I want to give you that help make this this anchor for your soul kind of come alive. Look in your notes there. The first thing I want to tell you what you're going to need is hope like an anchor requires that we have trust. Trust. Now, now this five-pound anchor that I just showed you, it was interesting. I, I didn't know a lot about this. But I was doing some online research, and a five-pound anchor, this little thing actually has the capacity to hold uh, something thousands of pounds greater than it. So, so this five-pound anchor can hold something over 2,000 pounds secure and solid. It's amazing. But, but you look at that thing, and you'd say, there's no way that is going to hold all of this and all of this, and all that stuff. And so when you, if you put a boat beside this, you'd say there's no way that can hold that solid in the natural. It's going to require trust, trust. But there's a certainty about its ability to carry the weight, to carry the load. And this, this little thing can stop a boat on a dime. And it's, it, in the natural, again, it doesn't make sense that something so small could do so much. And you, you might say about hope, you know, are you sure it's going to happen? Are you certain that's going to be able to do that? How do you know that? Because you're going to have to come to a place ultimately, and I can't get you there. And this is the part that's on you where you decide to trust the anchor. You're going to have to make that decision for yourself. Some of you are physically here, but, but, but to go to the next level in your faith, to move you know, from just being near him to being with him, it's going to require that you trust him as the anchor for your soul. It's going to require that you take a leap and you have to go all in. What would your life look like if you go all in and you trust this anchor? Let me just tell you something. Solid secure, steadied. The same people who face trials that I face and face trials that you face, some of them that have this, they're secure, they're solid. We're all going to face troubles. We're all going to face trials. Some people have this and some people don't. And what's required is trust. Trust. Trust is a must. And when junk junk happens to you just like it does to me, trust keeps you. Romans 4.18, talking about the the father of our faith, Abraham. This is a guy who, to say in his dotage he had children would be an understatement. He was 100 years old. His wife was 90. And and God says, you're going to have children. And, And they're basically like, God, hello. You know, the reproductive things, you know, checked out a long, long, long time ago. 
In fact, it says Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed about it. Oh, my gosh. Please. But the Bible says in Romans 4, it says, Against all hope in the natural, Abraham in hope believed. 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 Here is something you're always going to face with this particular subject. You're going to have this battle in your mind. He's right. No, wait. But what about this? He's, that's a good point. But yeah, but what about this? We're always going to have these battles in our mind when it comes to this particular subject. And it's going to pummel you with reason and rationales as to why something can't be. That's why David said to himself, note this, to himself he said, why are you downcast? In other words, self Soul, why are you downcast? Don't get all depressed. Don't get all sick in the soul right now, oh my soul. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He spoke to himself that way because he knew that his mind was screaming and he had to turn the volume down and turn the volume up on what God says. That's what we need to do when we have this battle of the mind. Next, hope is anchored to something unseen. Hope is anchored to something unseen. When you, when you, to trust this, you're going to have to eventually throw it into the water and you just, to, a, to the unknown. You don't know what's down there. You don't know what's going on and you can't see it anymore. And what's interesting is, is that once you throw it into that water, it gets, it just, it's gone. You can't see it anymore until it grabs onto something else unseen that is even more secure and solid than what you're putting your trust in right here. In order to experience hope, you're going to have to embrace something that is unseen. And let me tell you why a lot of you don't have hope, because your faith does not make room for something that is unseen. That's why a lot of you don't have hope, because you don't have trust, and because you haven't made room for you to, have, for you to experience or embrace something that is actually unseen. In other words, you might think, and I don't, I don't know, you can fill in on the blank. I like the stories, Pastor D, you know, the music's killer, you know, Pastor D looks like a rock star on Sunday mornings, uh, you know, the people at the door are good looking, but I don't know about all that unseen supernatural stuff. I don't know about all that. That's kind of speak, spooky and, and crazy to me, and so, so some of us never get the great things of God because, because God's world is not a natural world. It's just not. You don't, you don't have to agree with it to make to, to, for it to be true. Until you get comfortable with the unseen world, you'll never have an anchor for your soul. Until you get comfortable with the unseen world, you'll never have an anchor for your soul. God is bigger than your finite mind. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 in your notes, verse 17. It says, Paul speaking for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far aways all of these. So we fix our eyes on what? Not on what is seen, but what is what? Unseen. The whole secret to hope, to having anchoring your soul, is to fix your eyes on something that is unseen, not something that is seen. Because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Eternal. One of the greatest hopes, actually, uh, in, in using that particular illustration in Scripture, one of the greatest unseen hopes is what the Bible refers to as the blessed hope. We'll talk about this on Christmas Eve. The blessed hope. It's talking about eternity, eternal hope. As Christians, we don't believe we lose anybody when they die. We believe they're invested into, into the kingdom of God, into eternity. And so one of our greatest hopes is that there is a place there's a place we all end up when this is all over. And one time Jesus was talking to his, to his peeps, his discouraged dis disciples in John chapter 14. He says, don't be discouraged. Don't be without hope. Don't be troubled. Don't worry about it. I'm preparing a place for you. The ultimate hope is heaven. Everybody say heaven. That's where Chick-fil-A is open on Sundays, everybody. Come on. <laughs> Amen. Titus 2.13 says this, while we wait for the blessed hope, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to embrace hope, you have to embrace the unseen. And last point is this, hope is found in relationship with God. The most impressive thing about this anchor is not the anchor. The most impressive thing about this anchor is not the anchor, it's what it's connected to. The, actually, the power is not in the anchor. The power is in the connection between the anchor and what it holds on to. 
There's no power in and of itself in this five-pound anchor. And there's really, in other words, the power is not in hope. The real power is in the connection. You getting this out there? Your anchor, your anchor, in other words, can only be as strong as you are connected. As you are, I love that word, connect. See, I think religion has lied to a bunch of us that are listening, that are, that, are, that are here today. In other words, if you do this, you'll have this. If you check this box on your connection card, if you go to this class, if you serve in this capacity, if you give and do this, and all that kind of stuff. And so we become religious in our behaviors, thinking that in the process of being religious, not that those things are not good, but we can become religious thinking that that's going to bring us hope. That's not what brings us hope. Hope doesn't come through religious behaviors. It comes through a relationship, a connection. Until you really connect with God, who is the source of hope, you won't have hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may God, the source of hope. Everybody say the source of hope. So, so he's the guy on the bottom of the ocean. He's the one that your anchor grabs hold of. That's where all the power is. That's where all the, the weight and, and authority to stop your ship from being torn in the torrent of life. That's, that's the power, the source that is capable of doing that for you and for me. It, it will fill you with joy and peace through faith in him. Notice it doesn't say works by him or in him. It's faith in him. Then it says, then you will overflow with hope. What a powerful scripture. How do you know if you really have it? There's really only one way to know. When hell breaks out, when, when you come into uh, some kind of difficult or dire circumstance or situation in your life, are you anchored? Are you solid? Or are you unmovable? Or are you tossed to and fro by every single wind and every single storm and every single trial that's going on in your life? That's how you know if you have hope or hopelessness. David said this, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Isaiah, I love this scripture. But those, only those, you could say, who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on, wing, on wings like eagles. Everybody say eagles. The, the, he didn't say chickens. So some of you are flapping like chickens and you need to soar like eagles. See, that's what religion versus relationships like. Relationship is just a couple of strong whoosh to get above some of the circumstances. You know, an eagle rides on thermal winds and it gets to a place where it is effortless seemingly effortless in its ability to fly. Plus, it also has a perspective because of its position and because of its height. It can see things better. God wants us to soar like eagles, not flap like chickens down here. And many of us are doing that because we're basing it on something other than what God intended. But it says they'll soar on wings like eagles and they'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. So how do you know if you're really happy and have true hope? Again, do you shift? Do you move around? Are you tossed to and fro? Or do you have an anchor for your soul? Would you stand to your feet and let me pray with you? With every head bowed, maybe every eye closed. God, every single person that's in this room today is not here by accident. I don't know. You know their story. I don't know their situation, but you do, God. And you want to use all our stories for your glory. You want to take our story and redeem it. Make something significant and powerful from it. And some people here bleed in their hearts. They're bleeding in their hearts. There's sickness in their soul. Hope has been deferred. But the Bible says that a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would see their dreams, their hopes, their desires, and that you'd help them reach them and achieve them and attain them. But God, I pray you also help them see that they need to trust you. They need to embrace the unseen, and they need to experience relationship in order to have anchor for their soul. And if there's anybody here within the sound of my voice, anybody that's listening online, maybe you just need to be still for a second. Close the laptop. Maybe just silence your thoughts and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally right now. What is he saying to you? 
I think he wants to be in relationship with you. I think this is an invitation for you to come to know him personally, not by going to church. Church is great. Not by, you know, doing something really good. Good works are, are, are very good. God wants us to do good works. But he, he wants you to appreciate and embrace the finished work that Jesus Christ came into this world against, let's just say, the odds that man would respond because of his sinful nature and gave himself for you, to be in relationship with you. And he wants, he wants you to choose it. And if you're here today and you haven't chosen to be in relationship with him and you've never done that before, I'm not going to call you out, embarrass you, pull you down front or anything weird like that. But I'm going to ask you right where you are to just make that decision to embrace the unseen, to trust him, to come in relationship with him. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't want to leave today without an anchor in my soul. I don't want to leave today without knowing Christ. God bless you, young man. Is there anybody else? God bless you, sir. Is there anybody else? Good and high so I can see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. God bless you, honey. I see that hand. Thank you so much. God bless you. Would you just close your eyes, everybody, again, and put your hand on your hearts if you wouldn't mind. And those of you that are just listening online, you can just pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I want hope. I want to put my total trust in you. I choose today to embrace an unseen God, not focus on the temporary, but embrace the eternal. Lord, this day, I know my power is not found in the anchor but in what the anchor is connected to, you, relationship with you. Jesus, come into my life in a new and fresh way. Change me from the inside out. Give me that hope that Kevin and Angelica had against all hope. Abraham believed, and I believe in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the, the Lord a big hand clap for all those people who made that decision. I pray you have hope in your soul. In Jesus' name.